You're listening to the Oracle Podcast, where your story matters. All right. Happy May, everyone. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, If you're listening to this and uh, you haven't told your mom Happy Mother's Day, go tell your mom Happy Mother's Day. Go tell someone who's cared for you, uh, a woman in your life who's nurtured you, who's seen you grow, has been intentional about your growth. Go tell them Happy Mother's Day. that They deserve some uh, recognition today. So make sure they feel special. Um, Today... We are discussing a very interesting topic. I have uh, J.S. Park, Pastor J.S., June Park, uh, coming to share his story and his perspective. He is a hospital chaplain, um, and he talks about being a skeptic. Um, When we think about faith, you know, I think we don't really know exactly what we mean by faith. You know, like, what is faith? What is believing in something? Is believing in something making sure you never question? Is believing in something only real when you've been it's when it's been confirmed so you don't question anymore? You know, where uh how do we define faith? How do we actually put a title and a definition to what we consider believing in something is? And uh it's important that we know what that is for ourselves individually, uh, because I think it varies. Um, and I think if we have to respect that it varies because some people question, some people don't. But if you're questioning, it's not a wrong thing to question. It's not a wrong thing to ask questions about why you do things or to see how it can make sense to you. Because I think we're not just robots. I believe that we're not just robots. In fact, I know we're not just robots. And I think God wouldn't have made us the way we are just to be robots. In fact, that's what this whole uh, creation narrative is about is that we're not robots. And so because we're not robots, we're going to have questions. And when we have questions, it's important that we ask them, we try and figure out what it means. And so if that makes you a skeptic or not, uh, that's up to you to define. That's up to you to define for yourself. But don't be scared of questions. So uh, Pastor Park, Pastor J.S. Park, thank you so much for coming on the Oracle and sharing your story and what it means to be a skeptic, what it means to ask questions, and sharing with us your journey. Hope you guys all enjoy the show. Continue to support the Oracle podcast. Uh, continue to share it with people. Um, continue to leave likes and reviews and help the podcast grow. Stay blessed, everyone. All right. My name is J.S. Park. Uh, I am in Tampa, Florida, and I am a chaplain. I work both at the hospital and a nonprofit that serves the homeless. Wow. So what's it like? What's it like being a hospital chaplain? Oh, man. You know, I, I feel like this is my stock answer, but it is incredibly difficult and absolutely rewarding. Uh, I love doing what I do, but of course, it's super tough. I have probably seen dozens, I would say at this point, hundreds of people on their deathbeds, wow. uh, people who have uh, died right before me. Uh, I have seen hundreds of resuscitation efforts in the emergency room. I have made hundreds of phone calls to the loved ones of patients to tell them, uh, so-and-so is in the emergency room right now. Can you come to the hospital? Mm. Um, so as you can imagine, as anyone can imagine, that is really, really hard work. It's not for everyone. Uh, 
but I, I have to say that I, I love it and I feel called to it. Wow. Um, and you also are, you work with the homeless. So how is that tied in like in the hospital chaplaincy? Yeah. Yeah. So right now my full-time job is working at the homeless shelter. My part-time job, I'm on call working at the hospital. Okay. So at the homeless uh, shelter, there's over 200 employees that work there. It's probably one of the biggest nonprofits on the East Coast that serves the homeless uh, in our area. And so one of my roles is staff care. I literally go from desk to desk visiting staff members because they're always under the risk of compassion fatigue and burnout. Because uh, you know, serving the homeless, it can be really, really tough. It can be difficult, uh, not just because of dealing with the individual, uh, but our system is really, really messed up and is, is very under-resourced and stretched. And so uh, I do those staff visits, every a department from accounting to marketing to counselors to employment to education. Uh, I may basically make those rounds. And then I'm, I also have uh, FaceTime and one-on-one -on -one, uh, direct contact with individuals who are homeless and families as well. So I offer spiritual and emotional support. Wow. Um, especially because you are able to give spiritual support to people. Um, are all the people that you give spiritual support to, are they Christian already or? Yeah, you know, that's an awesome question because specifically with chaplains, we talk with anyone. So the difference between a minister and a chaplain is uh, a minister will go into the pulpit or go out into the community to impart information. So uh, their, their framework is, here's scripture, here's how I'm interpreting it for your life, for your situation, to give you this information theologically in a way that makes sense to you, that you can apply in your own life. Here's God's plan for your life. Here's what I believe the Bible is saying. A chaplain, what they will do is, I'll go into a hospital room, or I'll talk with a homeless individual, or I'll talk with a you know, staff member uh, to give them care. And I work within the theological framework that they already have. So whether they're Buddhist, atheist, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, or they, or, uh, they kind of have turned away from God or are mad at God, um, I will speak to them in the framework that they are already operating from. And then from those pieces, I kind of journey with them. And it's almost like those people who have questions, it's like they already carry their own answers and I'm helping them to give voice to what uh, they already know will work for them. Wow. Wow, that's like really reaching people where they are, meeting exactly. them where they are. I think, and that's that's important. Um, you know, uh, I think ministers can be. I think it's an important work, of course. As I as I'm a pastor, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but I I do uh, sometimes wish that we could always approach everyone with that approach, with the meeting where they are. But whereas ministers have to do more the delivery than kind of the like reaching to someone's where they're at spiritually, and so. I think like that's a powerful thing that you're doing. Really, really necessary. Yeah, if I can break it down to one word, I would say, I guess it's preaching versus presence. And, mm. and, like, and like you said, Ben, there's absolutely nothing wrong with preaching. Everybody all the time is preaching a message with their lives. Yeah. Everybody's always preaching. Um, but there is a time to be a presence, to slow down, to be silent, to sit with. And chaplains take on that role. You know, the official term is we are a non-anxious, non-judgmental, comforting presence in the lives of those who are in crisis and grief. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I've, I've never, like, I've never heard of it in that, in that like, definition, but it makes sense. As a chaplain, even at a, as a, at a school, as I am a chaplain myself, um, 
I see that like it's not about even the times where I speak at chapel, but it's every moment outside of that when the kids are in my office, when I get to visit with them, talk with the staff, etc. And so, yeah, presence over preaching for for this position. I agree. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about your life. Um, as I mentioned to you, I like how on your Twitter says ex atheist, and I've never really seen anyone ever write that before. Um, <laughs> but I like that. I think it's really intriguing. So can you just yeah unpack? Take your time wherever you want to go with like. What was it like? What do you mean that you were an ex-atheist? How did that start? Yeah, so Ben, I, you know, when I say ex-atheist, I have to first preface, um, I have to first give a disclaimer that, that that is a little bit sensational. I had to kind of squeeze my story into just that phrase because it's a Twitter description. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes people will, will be mad about that label or they think I'm like dissing atheists. By no means do I mean that at all. And it, it's kind of simplifying that journey. Some people will say, no, I don't believe you that you were, you know, you were an ex. They're those kinds of things. So yeah. I want to make sure, first of all, that I'm not insulting anyone. There's <laughs> absolutely no intention with that. Still have, uh, you know, um, plenty of love for the atheist community and atheist friends. Um, and I, I know also saying that doesn't, <laughs> that's not that helpful either. I know that can go down a bad uh, rabbit hole, but um, but yeah, you know, I, I did grow up an atheist. I self-identified as an atheist probably around 11 or 12 years old. And again, I know that that sounds ridiculous, <laughs> you know, because I'm in fifth or sixth grade telling people like, yeah, I don't believe in God at all. I, I mean, I was a militant atheist, like super hardcore. Like uh, I remember uh, when I would go hang out with like older friends and that we would drive around or something going like to the movie theater at the mall. If I would take like pennies out of their, their coin uh, tray and like open the window and throw it at churches if, I, if we happen to pass one. <laughs> <laughs> Saying that out loud, that's so petty, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I just hated the idea of organized religion. I, I thought that religion and churches, it meant you can't think for yourself. Um, and growing up, I experienced so much pain and trauma that I couldn't possibly imagine a personal God who loved us or had a plan for us. And, you know, I, I found out at a very early age that I was born, quote unquote, an accident. Like my parents didn't plan for me. And the pregnancy before me, when my parent, when my mom was pregnant before me, they had an abortion. And so for me, I was like, I was born as almost a coin flip. Like it was just random. It was haphazard. There's no plan for me. I'm just this cosmic accident. And so I spent a long time in my early childhood thinking every time I do something wrong or immoral or hurtful, I am actually accidentally causing some kind of rift or butterfly effect in existence that shouldn't have even happened. Right. And every time I did something good or helpful or quote unquote moral, I was earning my stay. Like I, I, I was literally proving why I can't exist and I should be here. Mm. So, so that kind of atheism informed my philosophy and that philosophy informed my atheism, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until probably high school that I started transitioning more into agnosticism where it's kind of like, you know, who knows and who cares kind of thing. And then around, I would say like college is when I started to explore more about faith. When I started attending church, I originally started attending church because I, I was playing drums. They knew that I, that I could play some music. So thank God for this church that let me be on the praise team, even though I was like, nope, I'm an atheist. I'm never going to believe y'all. But if you need a drummer, I will play. 
Um, <laughs> wow. So they, they kind of like hustled me into the side door. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like we'll evangelize this guy <laughs> while he's playing drums. One of these days, you know, they were looking at me like that. But it was a slow and painful journey. And then there was no overnight epiphany. There was no, you know, flip of the switch and then woke up one morning and I believed. There was nothing like that. Hmm. I mean, I would say to this day, I still experience doubts like on a daily, sometimes even hourly level and making that kind of slow and painful journey towards believing in God, understanding that the story of Christianity, there's value and merit and truth to that. It, it was a hard journey. And I guess to make a super long story uh, a lot shorter, I think it was seeing the love of Christians experiencing their love, their grace, their gentleness. It was something so unnatural to me, something so supernatural that I found it impossible. And wow. um, hearing the, the lives and, and these, these Christians that I was experiencing the love from, they weren't, they didn't grow up in an easy life or sheltered life or like, you know, they just grew up in church their whole lives. Like every story I heard, there was supernatural grace working in their lives. So I didn't start from, here's the truth of scripture, let me figure this out, and then I'll believe. It was rather, here's the supernatural love I'm experiencing, I will extrapolate backwards until I find out what the source of this love is. Wow, wow. See, that's, where do you see, where do you find these Christians? Because <laughs> I, I asked that because it's like, I mean, what you're saying, um, I definitely believe that is the equation to meeting Jesus. When you see love, uh, uh, this, this, there's not just a, not an easy love, but this love that people are giving endlessly, um, the same way Jesus did, that brings you to him. It's like, hits you like a freight train. I think anybody, right? But then, like, there's a lot of people who are Christians who can't do that, or who struggle, sorry, show, trying to show that. Um, but then how do you, especially if that's what brought you in, uh, the love of Christians. What do you do when you see Christians who aren't showing love? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> then that is a loaded, that's a super hard question. You know, I, I was lucky and blessed and really privileged in that the Christians that I met, they were okay with saying, I don't know. They were okay with mystery. They were okay with like my persistent, annoying questions. Like I would ask questions just to stump them. So for example, this is a total digression and side note, but I asked them one time, I said, hey, so if heaven means the removal of every pain and trauma and negative thing that we went through, and yet pain, we can learn from it and it can grow us into a different kind of people. Wouldn't that mean when we get to heaven that we have to essentially give up the painful parts of us that grew us into who we are. So we're giving ourselves up when we go, like heaven is essentially erasing a part of our personality. How is that heaven? And I wanted to get into these theological debates and my friend, my Christian friends at the time, they would just look at me and say, you know what? That's a crazy question. And for real, like, I don't know. <laughs> they would just say, I don't know. And they would be okay with that. And I would say, wait, so you can be a Christian and you can just not, know something or you can say i don't know and they'll say yeah we weren't we don't have certainty about everything and there are different interpretations and they were okay with that hmm. so i think i think to, to answer your question in kind of a weird way i think for christians if there's like certainty like absolute certainty about issues that 
neat that can kind of be left up to God, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And issues that can be kind of left up to when we get to the throne room, then we can ask <laughs> and then we'll sort that out. Yeah. Yeah. I think there needs to be a little bit more of that because right now, every side, every, every camp, every tribe, every, every denomination or church, there's so much certainty inside each church that there's like a smugness or a superiority. Like I got the truth. I'm the, this is the insiders club. We got the secret knowledge and the secret sauce about what God is saying, but it's almost like they're essentially saying my interpretation of facts is better than your interpretation. And I'm like, you realize that's just also an interpretation. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know yes, what I mean? Yes. So, so I believe Chris, the story of Christianity ought to make us, confident in the love of God and our identity and our worth. And at the same time, humble enough to accept that we might be wrong about a lot of things. And so as far as my story goes, the Christians that I met, they were okay with being wrong or not knowing. Mm. They were just humble enough to say, I don't know that, but I'm happy to like talk about it with you or converse about it with you. We'll, we'll probably go in circles, but it's okay if we don't know. Yeah. That's uh, a big ambiguity. Like, uh, it just, it's what we're supposed to have. We're not supposed to know everything. Um, cause if we did know everything, like we wouldn't really need God, right? If everything was just easily defined, we wouldn't really need, uh, as much as we do. That's right, Ben. Yeah. And in no way, like, am I saying, oh, we don't need non-negotiables, right? Mm. In, in no way am I saying that. Uh, because that that can kind of go down this other trail of like who knows anything you know let's question everything yeah, that yeah. kind of thing right and, and we can kind of go rogue with that but I, like that word that you said ambiguity I mean that is a word that I feel like many not just Christians just people in general are very very scared of hmm. uh, but, but I think if we embrace that more I think ambiguity and humility go hand in hand wow wow um being a being someone do you still consider yourself as someone who's a skeptic then a little bit like not in the obviously i'm just saying that in the definition of it not in a, the negative mindset that people usually have when you hear the word skeptic but do you consider yourself that yeah yeah you know uh i would say maybe a skeptic in two different ways i think one is i am still and I, I'm, I'm finding i'm not the only one i still find myself wrestling with doubt all the time like like when I work at the hospital in the homeless shelter, sometimes I see pain so severe and so deep that I'm just like, God, what are you doing? And are you even around? Cause just everything just seems so random and haphazard and there's like no plan. And so there's doubt that just hits like a lightning bolt. And I, I look at scripture and I'm like, I look at a Bible and I'm like, this just looks crazy. Like what I'm believing is crazy right now. Mm -hmm. So there's that level of doubt that to me is startling. It's world shaking. It's, some, it's something that I kind of, I'm tempted back towards doubt all the time. Mm. And so I'll look back and sometimes the, the narrative that pops up in my head is, it was easier when I didn't believe in anything. Mm. Like it was easier. You know, that's a temptation, like a, a thought that always pops up in my head. So I have those kind of doubts. But then the other kind of doubt, like the other kind of part of that skepticism is, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical when it comes to just, any kind of information or interpretation or when someone says something, I try to hold like a healthy level of skepticism. And one of the reasons I do that, Ben, is because I have what Koreans call 
Koreans call me Sunjinhae, which is, there's not a direct English translation for that, but it's kind of like naive and gullible. Mm. Like my mom used to tell me I have an easy ear, so I just kind of believe whatever. So if people come with like an eloquent argument or something persuasive, like I will just believe them. And then, you know, like how you have two friends that are arguing and one of them comes to you and says, well, he said this. And the other person's like, well, he said that. Whoever comes to me first, I will believe that person 100%. <laughs> and then if the second person comes to me and tells me their side of the story, I'm like, oh, and then I just kind of switch over. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I guess I was wrong. This other person's right. Yeah. You know, and that's not a good thing at all. And so I think that kind of skepticism is really, really healthy uh, and, and really good to have when it comes to when someone is speaking really eloquently, when someone claims to have all the facts and all the truth. And, and that brings us back around to that being ambiguous, uh, living in ambiguity and being humble to know that we could be wrong. Mm. So then I guess this is like a big conversation because uh, I, I teach philosophy to to my grade 12s, oh, actually high school students um, at my academy. And uh, we talk about truth a little bit, right? Uh, and it's like, how do you then, how are you able to stay uh, grounded if you know that something isn't sure, right? Like, how are you able to, like, what is it that, like, is able to keep you motivated to keep going? Like, why would I still go to church if I know that there's a possibility that the way the person's talking, the preacher, it's not all true? Or like, um, I know that like, why am I doing this one thing if this interpretation of it might not necessarily actually be fully truth? Or there might be another truth out there that is kind of different, right? How do you actually do anything when there's so much ambiguity, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, first, Ben, that's awesome that you teach philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you kind of get into these philosophical like thought pretzels all the time, all right? All the time. Yeah. And so I think it is easy to kind of live inside our own heads and just wonder, how is this true? How do I, you know, but I think there are several questions I'm always asking when I hear something. One is like, who said that? So where, where is, is it credible? Like, what's the authority? Um, and then uh, two is what, well, what makes that true? And then three, I think is probably closer to what you're asking is uh, how does that work out for you? So if we live into the truth that you, you are hearing or that you are believing, uh, what is the fruit of that truth? You know, you'll know them by their fruits. Mm. So one of the things about atheism that was completely untenable for me was that the logical end result of atheism, and again, I'm not dissing or saying this is true for every atheist, but for me was, if I just get to the end result of atheism, and live as if life were meaningless, that's completely unsustainable for me. Mm. It, to say that nothing has meaning, we only have meaning to which you know we ascribe things as good and bad, nothing is truly good or bad except for what we make it, all that kind of stuff like there, to me was not tenable. It, it, it was not a life that I wanted to live at all. And if I were to actually live out the implications of atheism, uh, I probably I would have continued on in uh, being hurtful like I was. And, and the thing is, the, the life that I was living when I was an atheist, I was, and again, this is not true for every atheist, but for myself, I did live however I wanted to live. I hurt a lot of people. And I think because there was a sort of subconscious, almost implicit narrative, like right underneath the surface of my skin 
that everything is permissible and okay because it doesn't matter in the end anyway, right? Hmm. And that manifested itself, whether I wanted to or not, subconsciously, if that was my narrative, it manifested itself in all kinds of ways in my conscious aware life. And so our beliefs, there's going to be fruit, regardless of whether we think, yeah, you know, whether we think like, oh yeah, I actually believe that or don't believe that, you know, because there are people that, there are trolls online that, you know, sometimes I wonder like, do they really believe what they're saying right now? That kind yeah. of thing, you know, or is this just a personality yeah. putting on or that, that sort of thing. But at some point, the stuff that we say that we uh, believe or that truth, it's going to manifest itself somehow. So I, Ben, I know I'm saying several different things. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm sounding confusing. No, 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 no. The main thing being that I think if we test the fruit, uh, is it is it harmful? Uh, is it beneficial? Am I contributing to society in some way? Am I doing this for the greater and common good? Am I doing what I believe that God has called to produce good in the world? We need to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, even in the Bible, I think it's in the Book of Acts where um, someone that was part of the Sanhedrin he they even like said this thing that was like. Well, we'll know if they're from God by their fruit, right? Like you like said, like from the way that what happens, and that's a, that's how we should determine it. Um, but there's an issue I think that we face. I don't know if it's like a, I mean, it has to be a humanity thing. Is that we're scared to let people just go about for us to see their result, right? It's easier for me just to tell them, no, this is how you're what you're doing or what you're thinking about doing, or how your view is already wrong. I don't want to see your fruits. I don't even want to see it. I don't want to get to that point where your fruits can kind of see anything because I already feel that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, it gets dangerous in that sense. I think we're so scared to let people be separate in the sense, like you know, like I think about it as a as a as a pastor of a of a of an organized religion, as an organized denomination. I see that because um, we don't want people to ever not be part of this one denomination in a way. Yeah, right. But I wonder. I just wonder, like, what would the world look like? if everyone just accepted everyone for how they see Jesus in a way. Yeah. Is there a danger to that if we did? Yeah. You know what you're, what you're, so what you're saying reminds me of a little bit is, so my wife right now at the time of this recording of this is five months pregnant. So um, we're going to have a a baby girl. And I think, Oh yeah. Thank you. I think one of my fears and anxieties about that is that she is going to be able to choose uh, her own belief system and faith. Like I, I can't make her do anything really. I can up to a certain time, I guess, and that's probably just the natural part of parenting, but she's going to have to choose for herself in the end what she wants to do. And she will have to sort of live with both the benefits and consequences of her actions, right? And so there's something as, you know, you as a, a pastor and, uh, me as I'm going to be a parent and, you know, I was in pastoral ministry and even as a chaplain now, there's a certain almost like people need to figure out kind of on their own where they're going and what they're doing. And we can impart advice. We can impart uh, what we think is best, but in the end, people must choose their own way. And so I, I think I'm hitting on, on something you're saying here about um, is there a danger in sort of letting people figure that out? Absolutely, there's a danger in that, right? That's that's kind of the fear of letting a person make their choice, whether they unravel or they they do good or 
sometimes by the grace of God, they choose something wrong and it turns out okay anyway. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of wild stuff like that. But in the end, we can't control anyone. We can't decide for them. And the more that we, we do that, uh, the more we actually end up harming that person in the long run. So it's a really tricky balance between saying, you know, do what you got to do, figure this out. You may have to learn the hard way, <laughs> you know, and certainly I did for a lot of different things. Um, and so when you see a person, obviously, if the consequences are so severe that, you know, it's life or death, there has to be intervention. Right. Yeah. And so I, so I, I absolutely believe in that too. Uh, but man, it's really, really difficult to do that. And there has to be both restraint and wisdom and sort of a, how do I hold on or let go? How do I press in or step back? It's always going to be a dance every day. Yeah. Um, I want to just uh, dial back to something you were saying earlier. Um, I'm wondering, because I think it speaks to what a lot of people are going with now. Um, being Working with homeless, working in a hospital, you said you've seen a lot of events, uh, situations that... Um, really show the effect of evil in the world, you know, like show the the repercussion, right? You see death, you see sickness, you see people, no homes, right? Like that stuff's not right. Um, yeah, in those moments, right, it's hard, like you were saying, like, how can I say that God is real, this loving God, when I see that, right? Um, people now, right, they're thinking people are dying from this worldwide sickness, yeah. right? People were locked in our homes. How can I say there's a loving God? So what do you do? How do you get through that? Especially not just even from this specific uh, COVID, but in your day to day, when you see something like that, that seems so ungodly or so evil or so uh, absence of absent of God, how do you bring it back to saying like, Oh, God is still someone I'm pursuing. Yeah. You know, I wish I had a really easy, <laughs> clean answer for this, like a bow tie. Mm. Um, but I think, I think there are two things that I've found helpful. Um, one is that, you know, that loss, that hurt, the pain that people are experiencing, whether because they're in the hospital or homeless or due to this pandemic that we're experiencing, that hurt is real. And there's nothing that I can say or do to fix that pain and that loss. And uh, God being who he is, is just as mad and hurt, just as sad and pained as we are, uh, completely empathizes with us like no one else can. And so I wouldn't ever want to use God or theology or scripture as kind of a band-aid or like, hey, you know, don't worry about it. God's in control. That's that even though I, I do believe that I don't think at the timing of crisis that that's the right thing to say. It's just, it's just not helpful. But to, to reassure that person, are you mad? That's OK. And God receives that. Are you frustrated? Do you want to vent? Do you want to cry? All those emotions. God's not going to say, all right, all right, take it easy. Or, you know, hey, this, you know, miracles are for tough guys only. It, God's not that kind of mm. God. Right? God's not uh, like, stop crying, be strong. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's all right. You know, or Hey, at the end of all this, God, God's not that kind of God, I, I believe. So there is a deep, deep empathy, I believe and, and compassion that God has for people who are hurting. And so that has gotten me through a lot, knowing that God has ex is experiencing what I'm experiencing in a profound and significant way that I can't even wow. understand. Yeah. And that God is experiencing the pain of those who are suffering and hears their cries. Um, 
And then the other thing is a lot of people who are in difficult situations begin to equate their situation with their worth. In other words, a person who is sick when their body betrays them and starts doing all kinds of things against them, a person starts to feel their loss of autonomy, starts to feel chronic pain all the time, uh, is in a hospital room, maybe hasn't showered in four to five days or, you know, or four to five weeks, they start to feel their worth diminished, their dignity stripped. They start to feel like they are their pain. And so if, if you've ever been in the hospital or you know someone who's been injured or you've known someone who's lost their job or who has had, had to be in the streets for a little while, people start to equate their situation with who they are completely. Yeah, yeah. And the amazing thing is for me, the God of the Bible, the Christian God, does not equate our hurt with our worth. So I say, I say that again, God doesn't equate our hurt with our worth. We, we do because we get that all mixed up and wrapped up. And of course, that's a natural reaction. But God doesn't love us less because our bodies are frail and sick. God doesn't love us less because we don't have a job or because we don't have a home. You know, when we look at this current pan pandemic right now, I think one thing that I haven't heard much in the conversation is the shame and embarrassment and humiliation that those with coronavirus are feeling right now. Yeah. Because if they go back to their job, let's say that they recover and they go back to work, people are not going to look at them the same. Wow. Wow. People are going to look at them like they're the leper in, in, in the gospels, right? Mercy. And I was reading this interview with a guy who actually lives in Tampa who said he felt like a pariah, like an outcast from his family. He, he, had, he tested positive for coronavirus and just said he felt this deep like shame, right? Hmm. So for those who are directly affected by COVID-19, I mean, they, they're tested positive or they lost someone from it. It is easy to wrap up all that stuff with uh, being dehumanized, feeling like I'm no longer a whole person. But God's love is so vast and so great that it's not that it fixes the situation, but God's love encompasses and wraps around and takes on that entire pain. And it, it is God's love that can get us through that pain and remind us that we're still made in his, his image yeah. and that our worth is not based on our health. Mm. Mm. Something like that, that's something that can keep you going. Um, especially when it comes to the identity part. If you can see yourself, if you can try to see yourself in the way God sees you, it's easier. Makes things a lot easier. It's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, and this goes to also people who have HIV, uh, depression, anxiety, diabetes, heart disease. There are many ways in which people think, this is my fault. I did this to myself. And however those things came about, God still loves that person the same. God absolutely loves that person. And it is easy to think that because I'm physically sick, there's something wrong with me or somehow this is my fault or I'm less of a person. And kind of there's a, there's a stigma around all of those things, yeah, yeah. sickness, uh, mental health issues and things like that. But God loves us absolutely the same. There's nothing that can separate us from his love at all. Wow. Um, I want to ask you a little bit. Um, about something that you feel like, I mean, maybe you've already touched it in our conversation, but what is something you feel like God's always trying to tell you as JS yourself? Like, what is God always trying to teach you in your life? Hmm. So Ben, I love this question. I think one of the things that I wrestle with constantly is um, my 
capacity or my, my gifts and what God has given me to impart into the room that I'm in. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I doubt myself constantly, like, like Ben, I'm sure you're familiar with this. After I preach a sermon, nine times out of 10, anytime I give a message, wherever I'm at a presentation, I'm always kicking myself in the head over missed opportunities and, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, why'd you say it like that? That yeah. was just, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There was that one thing that you said that, oh man, that was like, you shouldn't have used that word. That was just weird, man. You know, like, there's that. Yeah. There's always that, more. There's always more. Yeah. And so I'm always wrestling with that. And that may seem self indulgent, but I realize that I, 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 I always feel um, like the gifts that I'm offering are somehow. Uh, not good enough or secretly being mocked by people, mm. you know? So I just shouldn't speak up or the thing that I have to say is kind of dumb and like, or people like it's redundant or it's not needed. And so I think one thing God is always teaching me is, is that God made each of us the way that he made us. Because he wanted to say something through you and through me that he can't say through anyone else. Wow. And mm. when God has given me a gift, there is something to take joy in the fact that God would give me this in order to give to other people. And to hold back on that is to deprive people of that. And of course, there's no, it's not going to be perfect. There are going to be sermons that I fumble and fail. There are going to be times when I have a visitation with a patient, a staff member that it doesn't go well. Um, But God is continually teaching me you have gifts and you are called to share these gifts. And sometimes when I say that, I feel like I'm bragging, Mm. but I also know that there needs to be a certain like joy in using our gifts and a certain almost like I'm satisfied for the day because I did what God called me to do and I was competent in doing it and I did a good job. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's I never thought about it like that. Like amongst all the seven, eight, nine billion people in the world, however many there are, um, there's something that in your area, God wants you to do. And only you can do it in your area. That's what he's calling you to do. That's like, that's something to be confident about. Um, and it doesn't look the same for anyone else in your area. Like it's still for you. That's personal. Um, in closing, JS, um, I was just wondering if there's somebody who's, uh, struggling um, to understand uh, the amb- ambiguity or the uh, the the mystery that that we need to have to accept um, with God. What would you tell them? Hmm. Hmm. Ask that one more time. If someone is struggling with the yeah, with the with the concept of like accepting mystery hmm. in God, you know, accepting that. Uh, there's no uh, perfect cutout in understanding him uh, mm-hmm. that there's a level of skepticism that's needed in a sense, uh, but they're struggling with that. Maybe like they want to feel that way. They want to accept that, but their whole life they've been just told one thing and real concrete answers. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. what would you tell them? Yeah. So if, if you are willing to be open, to be teachable, to have your beliefs shaken, uh, it will be difficult. In fact, there, there's, I think, 
I hope I'm not misquoting this, but I think there's research that shows that when you experience like a belief disorientation, I mean, you will experience physical symptoms like wow. nausea, dizziness. I mean, it's, it's just going to hit hard and hurt. Uh, but if you are willing to go through that, if you are willing to start asking questions about your own beliefs, you start finding that there is a, a joy. You start finding that there's this adventurous thrill. You start opening yourself up to being able to love people more. And the reason why is because if you can understand other people's journeys, their thoughts, their beliefs, even if you don't agree with them, if you can open yourself up to asking questions about your own beliefs, you start to actually empathize with people who may be completely different than you. So there is kind of a love that opens up. And I think there is a, um, a more solid ground or conviction or foundation. There's more solid solidness when you can question your own, own beliefs. You start finding which beliefs don't work. You start finding what things are no longer tenable or sustainable. You start finding those things that you realize as soon as you put a microscope up to it, it didn't hold up. And so you actually start finding the things that can make you more solid, that are a deeper foundation. You start finding basements below your basements, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a joy in that. There's a deeper love for other people in that. And there's also, ironically, by questioning yourself, you actually start, start finding yourself more solid in what you do believe. And so I would say take the plunge, take the risk. Um, if, if you can, by, by the grace of God and by pure grit, if you can experience that kind of nauseating, dizzying, oh my gosh feeling of like, I'm questioning myself and everything I believe, if you can get through that and persevere, man, you are going to find an even deeper rock solid foundation in your faith and a deeper love for people.